Welcome to the Everyday Lions Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Welcome back to another week, guys. Last Thursday, my runners had some 400s on some short recovery. And then Monday this week, uh, my runners had a slide session of four minutes, three minutes, two minutes, and one minute. And then Alveston had one minute on and one minute off. All my runners train well. Most of them are working towards Launceston 10, which is about seven weeks away. If you would like to be part of this run group and you'd like to find out more information, you can head over to www.everydaylions.org. It is $40 a month, $10 a week, and we've got a really nice culture happening at the moment. This week, personally, I'm six weeks back running. I ran 37 kilometers last week. It's still a massive grind. Last night, I had eight times 300 meters on 100 meter jog. I will be documenting my journey back to marathon fitness. At this stage, I'd love to run London Marathon, but I don't know what is happening within the world. So it's most likely gonna be Melbourne in October next year. But I've got a, a sequence of videos happening every month and I'll be documenting my journey and it's just a way of keeping me motivated as well. And don't forget that this Sunday, the 1st of November, I have the Danabrog Cafe and Everyday Lions Sponsored Runner Challenge. This has been put back numerous times because of injuries and other things that my runners have had on, but we've finally set a date. It will be at nine o'clock outside the Danabrog Cafe. These runners will be running for coffee and money. So I'd like to wish the best of luck to Amy, Anthony, and Nick. If you'd like to watch it, it's 9 a.m. outside Danabrog Cafe. It'll be an out and back course over 5K kilometer journey at 9 a.m. I would love to see you there, support these guys. And don't forget that Runforia is still on every week on a Wednesday. That's at court to six. Poolmates is at court to seven. So if you are injured, that's a good way to keep fit. And don't forget Sunday session, which starts at 7.30 from Horsehead Creek. Okay, to this week's guest. This week's guest is Harry Summers. I've known Harry since 2013. I first met him at an attitude running up at Falls Creek. We hit it off pretty well. It's fair to say that we were not the best company for both people to be hanging around with each other. We supported our addictions, but Harry is an awesome runner. He's represented Australia at the World Half Marathon Championships, the World Cross Country, the Commonwealth Games, and he ran from Bondi Beach to Byron Bay, which is about seven, 800 kilometers. He ran 42 kilometers every day to raise money for mental health. Harry has been super open about his battles with alcoholism and mental health. And I just appreciate him so much for coming on the podcast and being so open and honest because that is not easy at all. If this brings up any issues for you with your mental health or alcohol, please reach out to Beyond Blue. You can find them on 131114 and they're just a phone call away or please reach out to a close friend or family member. 
Until next time, I've been Brian Lyons, your host. This is the Everyday Lions podcast, and happy running. Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Today's guest is Harry Summers. I don't think Harry needs any introduction at all. He is an elite runner. He has won the City to Surf three times. He's represented Australia at the World Cross Country Championships, uh, the World Half Marathon Championships, and went to the Commonwealth Games for the 10,000 metres. And he's been really open about his battles with his mental health and alcoholism over the years. Are you there, Harry? And welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm here, mate. Sounds like you've done your research. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Have you had a good day, mate? Yeah, um, yeah, it's been great. I uh, uh, went for a run this morning, um, then had a coffee afterwards. It's great to be able to have a coffee in the cafe in Melbourne now. So, yeah, uh, yeah the lockdown's over here now, so it's... Uh, yeah, things are going back to normal and, yeah, it's been a great day so far. Great. And how far did you go this morning? Uh, I did 7K, 7K this morning and, um, yeah, I've been second – this is my second week back running after, uh, yeah, a pretty bad injury. So, yeah, um, I'm happy just to be back running and, and recovering from each, each run. Yeah. Great. And we'll touch on uh, how the injury actually occurred uh, later on in this episode. But did you want to tell the listeners how you actually got into the running? Right. So I started running when I was about 17. Um, so I played soccer when, when, I was, uh, when I was a youngster. And, um, yeah, I was – I think, yeah, um, my first day down at running, um, like the first day I started running was with Sean Williams – um, I went down to Centennial Park and, you know, um, started running with a running group. And um, the, the reason why I started running, it was the off-season for soccer and uh, I thought I'd, have, I'd get pretty fit for that. Um, and also I was doing HSC and it was a pretty pretty stressful time. Um, and, you know, I did a bit of uh, – read up about running and, um, you know, how it can – help stress and, and mental health. So I definitely thought, you know, that would, I'll give that a go. And yeah, the first, first day I rocked up and I was in my soccer boots and I thought, yeah, we'll give this a go. <laughs> yeah. Great. And were you, did you take to running quite naturally with, with your soccer? Because there's a lot of running in soccer. Yeah. So I was, a, I was a center midfield in, in soccer. So I was, I was, um, the main bloke that you know did all the running around on the soccer field, so I still had like a bit of a base of fitness. Uh, the first day I rocked up, I was like in my soccer boots, and I didn't I didn't understand what a warm up was or anything like yeah. that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I tried keeping up with. The, I think there's a few elite uh, there's a few elite guys running, um, and yeah, started training with them and. The first first couple of reps, I kept up with them, and then then halfway through the session, I hit the wall big time. Uh, 
So I know Sean, Sean saw a bit of talent there and, um, yeah, he's told me, you know, you pretty much, you know, you got to, you're doing two sports. If you want to really give, uh, succeed in one sport, you got to, got to give a hundred percent and, um, knuckle down and do that, that one sport you choose. So, uh, yeah, I decided to choose running over soccer and I'm very grateful for, do, for doing that. Yeah. Great. I don't, I don't think you'd, um, regret your decision there anyway. Yeah. And so Sean took you under your wing. How old were you when this all came about? Uh, I was about 17. Yeah. So yeah. Sean, that was what, when Craig, Craig Mottram was at his prime and he was beating the Africans. Um, and yeah, he showed me a clip of Mottram and us and he said, Oh, if you want to be like this guy, you got to, got to, you know, really be disciplined and, um, uh, focus on your training and um, and really thought that I could I could make it in the sport. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, he gave me a nickname, Thirty Million Dollar Colt, uh, yeah. and um, <laughs> yeah, and um, the first first two years of running, I made my first Australian team when I was nineteen. Yeah, uh, went over to Oman and and that was a great experience. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, the first first time I made the Australian team, I just I think, I, you know, that was that was I knew what I wanted to do, and that was definitely what I was going to try and pursue. Yeah, great. So you uh, you would have made a state team in New South Wales. That's where you would have progressed. You went to nationals from there. Yeah. How did you perform at nationals? Quite good, quite obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was doing the fifteen hundreds. I went all right in them and doing a few five k's. I think I. I um I ran fourteen. I think I ran my first five k was about fourteen forty. Um, so I was I was I was up there. Um, but I was around, around probably top five in the race. Um, but I think as I just progressed, I was getting better. I think I got second in my state title when I was eighteen, and um, the cross country I was really excelling at. Um, and I got, I think it was fifth in the World Cross Trials down in Canberra. Yeah, so I made my first Australian team and went over to Oman. Um, and I was on the team with Gregson, uh, Brett Robinson, uh, Dave Ricketts, um, Josh Johnson. And, you know, we're, we're all pretty talented juniors. Uh, and, and all those guys have pretty much uh, pursued their careers and gone on to represent australia yeah yeah great and what was it like hanging around with those guys because did you find uh that they operated differently to you or or you were inspired by some of the stuff that they did that you didn't probably implement into your running career at that time well um i remember like when i first got on the cross-country scene and i was racing like ryan gregson was the main boy for for um you know the up-and-coming star and and you know, he was definitely, you know, great being in his his presence. Uh, I think um, on the team, it was really good to get to know the boys, and yeah, yeah, they were very inspiring because you know, they'd been doing it since they were little kids, and um, you know, they were right up there with the mix of them. Um, the yeah, so and we had like the so the juniors team was was there was six of us and then they had the seniors team, uh, Collis Birmingham, 
Spencer Lawrence. Um, uh, who else was on the team? Uh, I think they were, yeah, they were, they were the main stars. And um, yeah, we went over to Amman and that was in the Middle East. Uh, a good mate of mine, uh, Mohammed Alkub, he was, he was in the squad. He, he ended up being like the, the team um, like coordinator and, and like just taking us around the town and showing us the, um, the sites and stuff. And yeah, he, he got us um, to meet up with like the army and they escorted us around the city. So it was a great, great experience. Uh, right. The course, the course was on like a golf course um, and the spectators, I think they got from, you know, a local, I don't know if there were army like soldiers or prisoners, but yeah, they were, they were all smoking and like getting into fight. <laughs> yeah. And it was, yeah, it was like, and the, like the race officials had like, you know, big machine guns and it was, yeah, it was pretty full on. Like, um, but yeah, that, like, that was, that was a, you know, uh, a really memorable uh, experience. And yeah, that kind of just gave me the kickstart to what I want to do, what I wanted to achieve and definitely wanted to, you know, try and, um, I got top 30 in that in World Cross and I really wanted to try and make my next team and get like in the top 10. So, Great. yeah. And um, you mentioned Collis Birmingham and Ben St. Lawrence. Did these guys take you under your wing and, and, and try and teach you guys, you know, if you want to make it, this is what you have to do? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard, it's hard before the race, like everyone's, you know, doing their own thing and get kind of getting in that zone. But yeah, I mean, we had a, we had a good chat, like Benny, Benny was always, you know, a big fan of mine. He was trying to like, kind of, you know, um, keep me disciplined and, you know, he knew how much talent I had and was always telling me that. And yeah, he just said, look, if you're going to, you know, do this sport, you really got to want to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Benny, Benny was my, my, my teammate my, and I trained with him, um, week in, week out. So he was yeah pretty close mates anyway. Um, but Collis, yeah, I really didn't get chatting to Collis. It was more, more like kind of just hung around the guys I knew really. Yeah. yeah. Great. And before we get into anything, throughout your running career did you want to go through your current personal best so the listeners are aware of how how quick you are um so my 3k 751 that was in vibrams uh <laughs> really uh, <laughs> which is a crazy story within itself but um yeah my 5k is 1334 uh, uh my 10k is 2753 um and I would say, like, my best performance was City of Surf, where I ran 40.05, um, which I think was the equivalent to about a 60 half, 60 minutes for a half marathon. Um, just going over all the guys and all the, the top runners that have done that course, um, you know, me, myself getting second best in history and, and just missing the record by, like, two seconds put me in the same league as Steve Monaghetti. So no, yeah. I was definitely um, really happy with that performance. Um, yeah. So, and then, yeah, so that's pretty much the rundown of, of the performances I've done, which were all come in uh, the 
last two years really of, of my running. Right. And we're going to chat about City to Surf a little bit down the track a little bit more, which is a really important milestone, I think, in your running career and probably gave you a lot of belief of your talent, I think. Um, but so you're in a junior, you've left junior ranks and you're going into senior. What did your running career look like from here? Uh, so like going from junior to senior was, yeah, yeah, I was – I made the transition pretty good. Um, like it was, yeah, it was obviously coming from being a junior and stepping up to the seniors. Uh, it was pretty tough cause he was going against, you know, it was opens and you've got all different, you know, levels and, and guys that are, you're racing against that are 10 years older than you and had loads more experience. Um, yeah, so I mean that yeah that was that was pretty tough making in the seniors, but uh, yeah that was great, great journey in itself. Yeah. So did your did your journey look like uh, a little bit more training load? You and in, you increase your mileage and that sort of thing progressively a little bit more each week or? Um. Yeah, I suppose yeah progressively you got more mileage and longer long runs. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And. And what was your typical training week looking like um, throughout that period? Um, so when I was when I was training towards uh, Marne in uh, World Cross, I was running like roughly 120 k's a week. Um, and then Sean just wanted me to get consistent over the year, so running 120. It's all about consistency, so. When I stepped up into the seniors, I was running maybe 130, 140. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so that was rough pretty much, you know, Monday was an easy run. Tuesday was a track session. Thursday was um, another interval session. And then Saturday was a threshold. Sunday was a long run. So it was pretty pretty staple, um, you know, weekly program, Australian traditional program. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was my main training. Um, yeah. Great. And you've mentioned Sean Williams a few times. Uh, what what relationship and, and what impact has he had in your career and, and what does he mean to you? Well, I mean, Sean, I mean, Sean was my first coach and I was with him for 10 years. So, I mean, yeah, he was a big part of my life um, and, I, I don't hold anything against Sean and he tried his best to get me right, to get me, you know, focused on running, but it just never would happen. Um, but yeah, he was always, you know, persevering with me and trying to try, you know, trying his best to kind of, you know, just see how I could go in, in the running. Uh, but yeah, like he was pretty much like a second father to me. Um, and it was, I think, 2015 he decided to move down to Melbourne um, which was pretty sad and I was like oh well you know I'm I'll keep in coach by it but it'll be different like being coached online obviously I wouldn't be able to go down to the squad and, and see him there um, and then yeah 2017 I made my move down to Melbourne and started training with him again but yeah no Sean was yeah Sean was um he was, he was a hard ass, but he was, you know, he's, but he, he was a kind of a gentle giant, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know Sean too, and I'd say the same thing. He doesn't put up with any shit. He expects oh. the best out yeah. of his runners, and um, what you put in the sport, he'll give back. I, I reckon that's a fair, probably. Yeah, fair. Well, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So judging Sean, you can't really judge judge Sean's coaching, um, you know, performance off me because I was, you know, a, a little shit sometimes. So I mean, I, I wasn't consistent on. You know, I was uh, definitely wasn't putting it in my all. So yeah, so um, Sean, Sean was a great role model in my life, and yeah, um, but yeah, I've had a few coaches after him. Yeah, cool. And you kept on touching on that your consistency was not the best, and you called yourself a little brat. Did you want to explain why this was, and and what was going on in your life? Well, I mean. Me and you know, like, the, the past, my history. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I was into, you know, um, you know, try and be running and, and in general stuff, you know, study or, or work, but it never come together. And, I mean, a big, a big uh, reason why that was and nobody really knew about what I was going through was just a lot of – so I was diagnosed with OCD, um when i was nine years old and i had to deal with that going through my teens and um you know that, that was one of the reasons why i took up running the anxiety and the stress but yeah so i would you know i, I was i was you know coping with my anxiety and my depression uh with the ocd um through alcohol and um you know i was doing that around training and and um it took it it made a really bad outlook for me on my life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so Sean was always trying to get me together and, you know, he knew I liked to drink, but he never really understood why I was drinking. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I was a brat. I was, you know, I would, some days I'd show up to, like, club meetings, you know, half-tanked and, um, you know, I'd rock up to a long run with with – you know, the night before going out and, you know, I was, I was, I was disrespectful. I had, I had a lot of anger issues, I think, as well. So, um, and I think that was just to myself and, and not ha- knowing how to deal with my anxiety, not knowing how to deal with OCD and and then that caused depression and, and it was just a vicious cycle um, and also with the alcohol as well. Um, yeah, so if you're comfortable talking about it, what uh, form did your OCD actually make you do and, and, and the things that you felt when you had well you still got OCD but what what was going yeah, on in so your brain OCD is an obsession compulsive disorder so it's a, a different type everyone's got different types so there's one side where you have intrusive thoughts another one cleaning um, and you know washing yourself uh, I went through when I was in my teens I was I had the the cleaning disorder so some days I'd have to wash, you know, have a shower for two hours um, just with these intrusive thoughts. And, you know, every time I would, you know, wash myself, I would have to have a clear thought process. I couldn't think of anything negative. And, um, you know, as well, that when I went into, um, you know, washing my hands and, uh, yeah. And then and then it just progressively went into, um, purely just intrusive thoughts where 
you know, I would, I would, I would put my clothes on and then, you know, I'd have to put my clothes on with, without a negative thought. And it was just like a compulsion. And, and some days it would take me an hour to get ready before, before going to school or before going to training. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, it, it definitely can um, cripple you if you, if you don't have the right way of going around it. Um, so obviously I went to alcohol to deal with all that anxiety and, and, and um, then that was just a vicious cycle. So drinking just made it worse. And, and the more I drank, I thought I was getting better. I thought, well, I thought I was getting more confident, the more I drank, I would be able to, you know, walk into a room and, you know, walk in front of a meeting or something and, and, and not be scared to talk, not be scared to talk in front of other people. But, um, as the years went on, the, the addiction, uh, progressively just got worse and I was eventually an alcoholic really. I mean, it started off just going out on the weekends, drinking and, and I'll drink for the confidence and I would, you know, you know, go out with my mates. But then once it started becoming a routine of getting up, you know, going to the fridge, opening up a bottle of beer and then just repeating that. Um, yeah, it was, was a stage in my life where I was probably below the gutter of, of the ground. And, um, yeah, it was a bad time for me. Um, and, yeah, I eventually I'd had a lot of, a lot of, um, I would say, run-ins with with the police and and other stuff. Um, and I got into one day I got into a car and I was drink driving um, and I crashed into a pole. Yep. Um, and that was probably my rock bottom. That was like when I thought, you know, this I've got to turn my life around. Um, and I've got to do something about it because, you know, I was going nowhere. I was, I was just hanging out with the wrong people. Uh, um, and I, I, I truly think that if I carried on that way, I would have, you know, I would have killed myself or somebody else. So um, I decided to go to AA meetings. Yeah. That was, you know, that was a massive, um, you know, that was a very hard, hard thing to do because I had this, you know, go in there on my own with all these strangers and, um, you know, say, hi, my name's Harry, I'm an alcoholic in front of in front of a group of people that I've never met in my life. And and for me, for the ego, for, for my personal confidence, for, for all my achievements, it's just, it didn't really mean anything. It was, it was, you know, the first day of going into AA was very tough. Um, but, after I talked about it, after I, um, you know, chatted to other people, alcoholics, and went through the same same road or path, I felt a million dollars better. And I felt like I'd kind of part of a small family, really. Um, and it, it really, yeah, it, it helped me a lot going to AA meetings and just talking about getting up in front of people every day. I did that every day for three months. Yeah. Um, and I spoke in front of people and I talked about my issues and, and yeah, it was a massive release. Yeah, and great. I think, you know, with, with those AA meetings, you know, everyone's drinking, everyone's an alcoholic, but 
that's not only the issue that we've got to look at. It's, you know, it's people who who end up alcoholics are not happy with their life. And yeah, perfectly we, said. Yeah, we've and got to fi- fix that and then fix the, I think, drug problem or alcohol problem because, um, you know, you can fix the alcohol problem, but if things are going crap in your head and, and you're not, you're not um, in the right headspace, it's very easy to go back to the drink. Cause it's, yeah. And quite obviously our stories are similar but also very different. Everyone's on a different journey. Um, for me personally, I was anxiety as well. And I drank because it made me feel confident, gave me a shitload. You know, I felt better when I drank. It, I could not give a shit until the next day, obviously. And one or two things would happen. I'd have a drink again or stay in bed all day, which is not yeah. good. Um, yeah. So for you, the turning, the turning point was really going to AA and, and sharing your stories and hearing other people's stories about their journey to sobriety as well. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, so I mean, I hit yeah a stage where I was I had enough, and you know I surrendered to to it, and I was you know I was I was ready to change my life around it. But I think yeah, going through that process and meeting others, um, I got sponsored while I was while I was going to the meetings, and I um, uh, yeah met a really cool bloke. He's a nice bloke, um, but yeah he. Um, he had a similar story to me and, and yeah, we both shared, shared a, a history that was very similar and got a connection together. But yeah, it was the 12 steps, you know, the first one's admitting you've got a problem. And then second is, you know, talking about it and going to meetings um, every day and, and just keeping on top of the thoughts because the thoughts are always, especially the first, I think three months, it's very tough. You know, you, you're, you're going to sleep, you're dreaming about alcohol, you're thinking about alcohol. You, so it's, it's very tough the first three months and, yeah, it helped me um, massively. So I, I recommend if anyone out there is going through yeah, alcohol issues, I definitely would recommend AA meetings because it, it helped me. But everyone's different, like you yeah, said. Yeah, great. And, yeah. and that's exactly right. I've tried AA and, and it wasn't for me, but I, I, I just I found I got more out of one-on-one counselling. But like you said, the... The help's there and it's just as a matter of going to Google and Googling the closest place to you, put in that you've got alcohol issues and mental health issues, someone will soon point in the right direction, won't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the main thing is it's um, it's talking about it and it's about um, surrounding yourself with people that are going to listen and, um, you yeah, know, not... I mean, yeah, it, I think at the end of the day, it's about talking about it. Just because just, I never talked about it. I, I, you know, I kept it all bottled up. And, and once I started talking about it, it was a massive release. And, and you get better. You you know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And yeah. And gotta, you got to keep positive. And as a friend watching in and watching your journey, and as soon as you tell your friends on social media that, hey, look, this is me. I've got an issue. It doesn't define me. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm getting help. It seems like you've really propelled, propelled yourself forward and, and um, you know, achieved great things within your running and yeah. you're a much happier person. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And, look, 
people people are gonna gonna you know you're gonna lose friends you might lose friends people might you know think it's silly but they're not the ones to worry about you know you will once you open up you will find your true mates you'll find the, the people that are going to be that with you um you know thick and and you know going to be right next to you um perfect so I mean, I've, I've 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 met a lot of great people because i've and spoke to a lot of great people that have gone through similar issues and and um really you know got, got a connection with them and and um yeah i mean it's just it's one of those things like, i mean everyone's got their own issues but some people deal with it in different ways. Um, I mean, I'm, talk- I'm talking to a girl at the moment. Sean, uh, she's going through a few issues. She she worked in the police force, and um, you know she she was yeah she was telling me that you know she got picked up by the police. You know, and she's she she actually knew the people who picked her up. But um, but yeah, that I mean that's an, another story in itself. But you know, you'll you'll meet loads of different people, you know, great people, and um. Yeah, so that I mean, that's what that that's my advice: is talk about it, find the courage to speak about it. Um, don't don't let pride get in the way, um, because you, you'll feel a lot better. Yeah, perfect, perfect answer. And have you found that support from people sending you messages and just reaching out? Uh, I, on a personal opinion, I'm on the same track, mate. I'm a little bit over a year sober, and just those yeah. messages mean the world to me. Have you found that as well? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's um, it's definitely, um, yeah, it helps. It it helps yourself and others, um, and it motivates you to 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 keep clean and to uh, keep positive. Um, I mean, you're always gonna have your bad days, but you know, you just got to get up and get out the front door and put on your running shoes and and then go for a run, and you'll feel a lot better after that. But yeah, I mean, it's very, it's it's something very special. Um, not a lot of people can really relate to when when they haven't gone through issues and depression and mental health. Um, uh, to actually connect with somebody else who's gone through that, you know, that that situation, that deepness, you know, it's it's definitely really really powerful. Um, but yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, so my consistency was always, you know, pretty pretty crap i'd have a few months of training and then and then go on the piss you know and start drinking and then i'll come back and so it was always up and down and and distance running as you know it's all about consistency you know you look at you look at the top guys you know if you're looking at their strava or you're looking at um the top kenyans africans you know it's week in week out year after year and it's not just you know, six months of training and then you get the result or a year yeah. of training. It's, um, you know, it's it's putting in the hard yards year after year and then yeah. you'll get, you get the results. I mean, look at Stewie. I mean, he's running a blinder. But the first year he, he went to Nick, he, was, he wasn't running world-class times. But, you know, after year year in, year out, he's he's been consistent, he's been resilient and, you know, he's got the times that he's, he's wanted to get. So, you know, yeah. And it's building layer after layer, like you said, and um, and and just having the strength to uh to be able to require the training and not get injured as well. I think that's one of the biggest things in doing it smartly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's you're better off putting one step 
back and two steps forward. You know, the 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 consistency is more more important than the um, you know slogging out the hard weeks or hard months, and then you you have to miss a couple of weeks or you have to miss a couple of months with you know something. So I think with next guys, they they've really got the um, they've really got the answer in in the training for the track stuff, you know, with just consistency and, and fast stuff. Um, yeah. Which is, which it's all about really. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And I mean, this might sound like a stupid question for anyone tuning in, but what do you do to stay sober? Do you stay away from certain types of people? Do you not encourage yourself? Do you stay away from certain type of venues? Do you reach out when you're feeling like you need a drink or? So actually when I moved from Sydney to Melbourne, um, I got sober in Melbourne. I I found that being in Melbourne was like a clean slate. Yeah. And I, I, when, I, when I go back to Sydney, I always, I always find, you know, those thoughts coming back and, you know, um, I suppose it's bad memories, but, yeah, it, I think change of environment or change of friends is very important. The first, I think the first stage where you're going through recovery, um, and then eventually you will find that you can meet up with those people again and, and you know, you walk in, you'll have a glass of water or Coke and they'll have a beer, but you'll be able to sit in front of them and drink a beer Um but um, if, you know, some people don't want to meet up with you, then it doesn't matter. You know, don't worry about them. Yeah. Just worry about the ones that will, you know. Um, yeah. Perfect. But, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a hard one. I mean, I haven't – I haven't. I mean, everyone's everyone's got their own story, their own way of dealing with it. But um, for me, I think the first first few months is, is very tough and you've got, to, you've got to put yourself first. You've got to think of your recovery. If you start thinking of other stuff and, you know, when I was going through my recovery, I couldn't think of running. I couldn't think of, yeah, you know, meeting up with mates. Um, you know, I was, my, my focus was right day to day. I've got to, I've got to get sober. Yeah. Day to day, sober, not, not worry about other crap in my life. Yeah. Um, and once you hit that stage of life, you can, you can start doing the other things, you know. Yeah, it's great you touched on that. Um, when you are getting sober, you're not you're not doing it for anyone else. You're not doing it for your mum. You're not doing it for your dad. You're not doing it for your nan. You have to do it for you and you only. And know, well, this is a list of the reasons why I'm doing it, and the person I turn into when I drink. Is that yeah. what? Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. So I mean, your mum can. You can't do it for your mum, or or your family, yeah. or, or you've got to do it for yourself. You know, when, when I was walking into the AA meetings, I did it for me. I wasn't doing it for anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. And you made this huge change in your life, mate. And you mentioned that you moved from Sydney down to Victoria and you actually moved in with a few running people, didn't you, that supported you in this journey? Yeah, yeah. So um, I moved in with um, a couple of Ethiopian boys that um, – you know, they were great, great um, atmosphere, great positive people to be around. Um, yeah, so they they were both runners and, um, yeah, I mean, they, they were great, great company. I think it's very important to 
to when you when you you're achieving um, at an elite level in any sport, you've got to you've got to surround yourself with the right people and and surround yourself with people that you know are passionate what you what you're doing and and um, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, I mean that didn't work out me living with those boys because um, I was still drinking and um, I was still you know that's where I had my car accident, but yeah um but um yeah i think yes that was part of my journey you know just being there with the boys you know making the mistake and you know moving on yeah but that's the thing um that's all about growing and and life as a person you're gonna have lots of trip ups before you realize and think oh fuck um i can't continue down this track and you must have had that awakening after having your accident or whatever and said, I'm a super talented runner. I have all, all this, all this talent in the world. Did you yeah. think yourself, I do not want to waste this and look back in 10 years time and go, well, fuck, I've wasted that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, yeah. So, I mean, I, that was, you know, one of the big reasons what um, I wanted to do. Like, um, you know, I, I was very immature growing up and you know going from my teens and early 20s and you know always had you know um you know thinking that I could drink and you know still rock up the next day and be training hard and I was, you know, I was kidding myself but um I think yeah as you grow up you grow as a person uh you you, you get more mature um and yeah and you realize you know you've 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 been there, you've done it, you've, you've, you've lived that kind of, you know, party lifestyle and you come to terms, you know, with that's not the path that's going to get me, make me happy. That's not the path that's going to gonna get me anywhere. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with going out on the weekend, having a few drinks and, but you know, once it becomes a problem of drinking every day and stuff like that, it, that's when it becomes an issue. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember I was at the Commonwealth games and, I was I was drinking with all the swimmers and um you know they're usually the athletes that compete first and um they're like oh how'd you go in your event and I said oh I haven't run yet I haven't I haven't yeah. done my event yet <laughs> um, I'm just enjoying myself and they they said they 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 were amazed like so even even when I was there at the the Com Games representing my country I couldn't I couldn't keep away from the drink and um yeah. you know that was you know that's very sad like to think that but yeah, that that's the truth. You know, I was I was that addicted to it. I, even when I was over there in the village, I was still had to have a drink. You know, two weeks before, or a week before, like my major event. So, I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty big insight of how bad the issue was. Here you are representing your country um, in one of the biggest stages that athletics offers, and and you still couldn't stay sober. Um, I mean, I personally remember having conversations with you during that time when that was going on and, and um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, just to see your growth now, even just talking to you, you can see how much you've grown just in the last three years, mate. You're a different person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that's nice of you to say that. Um, I think, I think, yeah, sometimes, you know, go through the rough times and going through that, 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 you know, hidden rock bottom actually changes you. So, yeah. Um, as you know, the past is the past. You can't really do much, much about that. But 
you can learn from it and you can you can just move forward and and um you know just just uh focus on now and focus on the future and try and achieve what you want to do like but um yeah it, it was a pretty bad you know it was pretty you know it was it was a, a bad time in my life but um uh but in saying that you know this, you, all these things they 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 you grow and you learn from you learn yeah. from it all okay and you're you're back on track now and the last 2 years have been really exciting especially this last year to watch where you've lowered your times down and and you're a different runner mate i mean you were good but now you're really good and how did this oh, well, all come about? Did you, quality, you got it yourself into AA? Um, you moved in with someone else, didn't you? Um, yeah, so um, through my, yeah, so when I moved from, from the boys, I was living with the Ethiopian boys, and I moved over to Templestowe with uh, Tony. And, uh, yeah. yeah, he put me up um, and he looked after me. You know, he, he put a roof over my head. I was going to live live with in this boarding um, house, and he said, "No, nah, you can't live there, mate. It's it's not for you. It's not for an athlete." So he, yeah, he put he opened his doors up for me. Um, and yeah, we I was with Steve for about a year, um, and you know things didn't work out, and um, and uh, just just a few problems there. But this, I, I'm not going to get into that. There's always you know, there's always two sides of a story, I suppose. But yeah. um, um, yeah. So we 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 got to got, got chatting about running, started analysing different different training methods, different you know, um, you know, looking at all different avenues. Um, you know, when you go for a run, at, at an elite level, the run means something. You know, that, that, you don't just go for a run and go, oh yeah, I'm going to go for it. You know, hour run today you know it means something it adds to something so we like to kind of uh analyze and look at different avenues i mean and i went over to renata renata canova um the train in kenya and got to know renato's philosophy and his approach towards marathon running yeah did you want to explain that a little bit for the listeners who've got no idea who renata is so Renato Canova is an Italian manager who's an uh, Italian coach uh, who coaches the fastest uh, white man in you know, Westerner in, 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 in the world. He's run a 205 marathon. He's also coached uh, Wilson Kipsang and a lot of the Kenyans, a lot of the Africans. Um, uh, and his approach towards uh, marathon running is, um, well, you've got to cover the distance, obviously, but yeah, a lot of different kind of um, big sessions, like massive big sessions, a lot of fart legs, a lot of uh, – one session he did, what, like a long run was uh, – the first half was – so it's 40K. First half you do um, one minute slower than your marathon pace and then your second half you do uh, marathon pace. So yeah, it's a big session. Um, Ryan Hall also did that session, did a few sessions. So – um, it was very interesting going over there, like uh, looking at that approach. For me, um, the program didn't really work for me because I didn't have um, a um, 
I didn't didn't have like a massive base before going over there. So because I've been like really, um, because I've been really inconsistent and over the years I haven't really been doing massive Ks, it kind of, it, it worked for me for a few weeks and then I got a bit stale, but um, it works for the guys that have been really consistent over the years and, you know, have had five years, six, seven, eight years of training under them. And then they then they do these big sessions, um, but um, yeah. So I went to Kenya, trained there for three months. Yeah, and it was pretty cool. Got got to know a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, great. And you actually paid back to the Kenyan community, didn't you? What? Yeah. So I so I went to Kenya. Um, this was three months uh, before London Marathon and. I went over there in January and um, uh, trained with Sandra and Renata Canova and uh, I um, I stayed with an African family like in in like it was kind of like an Airbnb and that was like a, an awesome experience so living with them and um, eating like an African and living like an African um, actually like having you know having a toilet where it's just a hole in the ground and yeah wow. you know, shower, you know, cold water every day. Um, yeah, it definitely toughens you up, but, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I've, you know, washing your clothes, like there's no washing machine over there. So you wash your clothes with your hands. And so every time you go for a run, you got to come back, wash your shoes, you know, wash your clothes. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I, her son, um, the family that I live with, her son had um, uh, a disability and went to a disability school. And so I thought I would pay back and, um, you know, give back to the community um, by buying all the school kids' shoes. Um, right. Yeah, so there was about 400 kids in the school and we, we got them all a pair of shoes and, and that was amazing. Um, Fantastic. You know, yeah, it was amazing, like, seeing seeing the kids' faces. And these kids were, you know, they had cere- cerebral palsy and and Down syndrome. And, and um, yeah, it was it was great to, to just give back. And, and um, you know, some of the kids had, like, shoes, well, not even shoes, and, you know, shoes that were half hanging off their feet. So, you know, it was really nice that they could actually have a pair of running shoes walk around in even if they wanted to have a little run or something yeah yeah and that uh that feeling that you feel when you when you give someone or you give a gift to someone's pretty amazing isn't it well yeah yeah it's 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 amazing feeling um you know we gave them backpacks and um um what else did we give them um yeah we got them like loads of sweets and lollies but yeah, I mean, giving back is is very important. I think that's you know it's it helps you as much as person that you're helping out. So it definitely yeah. makes you feel alive. It makes you feel loads better in, in what you what you're doing in this world. Um, you know, just constantly just uh, you know thinking to yourself is you know you're never going to really tr- find true happiness by doing that. So no, uh, that was. Um, that was a massive, um, a massive learning curve for me as well to to be in Kenya and and 
to appreciate like the small things in life. Like, yeah, you know, coming back here was it was a dream. Like, you know, having actually having a shower and having warm water and you know having a washing machine and, and all the simple things. Yeah, showing um, gratitude and feeling gratitude, isn't it? It's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. But the Kenyans, the Kenyans are amazing. Like, um, you know, we went to watch a high school cross country race, and the guys were running just as fast as the the seniors. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're freaks. Like, they're, they're they're. I was chatting to to like one of the guys that that's that's um he's a white uh, westerner, and he's lived there for about fifteen years. Um, and he said the reason why the Kenyans they're just um, amazing at marathon running is because they're at high altitude, which um, they develop like less growth as babies. Um, so they're small people. They're skinny, light people. They don't have protein in their diet. So they have little protein in their diet. So they develop small muscle mass yeah. in their legs. Um, they run barefoot when they're children. They carry heavy sticks. Um in the farm so they develop like this strong core um at the same time um strengthening their achilles up their ankles when they're running barefoot um and the actual kenyan because they haven't got much muscle mass 80 percent or 70 percent of their their use is is just the tendons so it's um it's amazing to actually see like all that you know, stuff come together and to create that athlete, like, um, yeah, like keep <laughs> their environment and, uh, yeah, I suppose their environment and that they're being brought up with, it's, it's perfectly suited to distance running and it's evident yeah. in, in the times and the amount of runners they've got over there. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, really. Um, so, yeah, um, Iton, the place that I went to was, um, it's a small town uh, up at high altitude, about seven hours from Nairobi, and all the gold medalists in the marathon uh, track, they all come from this one town, and it's something like only 5,000 people or something in the yeah, town. Wow. Um, like I think 4,000 of them all run. So yeah. um, it's like a running town. It's amazing, really. Um, you get up at 6 in the morning and... You just see like hundreds of people running. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean that was that was that was a great experience. Funny, um, when all the COVID hit Kenya, um, it was it was quite scary at times because there was a few riots and um, and there was a curfew and the curfew you had to come be inside your house and there was soldiers walk in the streets like and if you was outside if you was outside or um not inside your house um at curfew time you get well there's a few people that got bashed over the head so yeah that's how, that's how they do things over there um which is um totally different to where but um yeah, they, totally. they can't really find people over there because you know, not a lot of people have money, so you know, instead they they use violence. But okay, yeah, I mean, 
you know, so I thought, you know, it was a time and a place. I had to get out of it. I get out of there. You know, there was there was problems in the country. There was there was problems going on with the government. So, um, and there were, I think they were starting to to blame the Westerners for bringing COVID into into Kenya. So, um, yeah, I decided to just get the flight, the next flight that was available to leave Kenya. Um, this is when I realised like London Marathon was cancelled and, you know, all the races were getting cancelled. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I got a Mataru. Uh, so I was rushing, packing my bags because I only had – so the flight I booked was at 7pm, but I booked this flight at 12, like at lunchtime. Okay. And, um, I knew it took about seven hours' drive to get to Nairobi. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so – and then um, – so I was rushing around. I just I pulled over this Matadu, which is a Matadu is like a, a bus that carries about 15 people um, down to Nairobi. And I said he was empty, and he said he said I can't take you. Like you, you know, it's not going to be worth my trip. So and he said um, I said well, mate, I got to get there. Like um, is there anything I, you know, I'll pay for you know the 15 people or whatever, which which wasn't that much. It was like hundred bucks. Hundred dollars, Aussie dollars, um, which is a lot over there. But I just said, mate, just get me to get me to bloody Nairobi. I got seven hours to get there. And he said, no worries. Um, took the money. I was in the car, in the van, big bus on yeah. my own. And uh, <laughs> brilliant story. He's, he's he's driving on the bloody hundred oh, k's an hour. It's it's pissing down rain. He's on the <laughs> other side of the road. He's like swerving around traffic we get onto this highway that ha- hadn't been finished because you know they pulled all the workers off and um you know we're driving on this highway it's got like potholes in it and we're coming off the highway then on this dirt road then we're going back on and then we hit this bloody trail like this shortcut and yeah. uh and I, and i was just in the back like going up and down up and down luggage was going up and down <laughs> um yeah, just just it was an insane experience. And then we got there half an hour after curfew, and all the, to the airport, and all the soldiers and the the army, uh, the the army and the police were outside the airport, and uh, they pulled us over and they said, "What are you doing on the road? You can't be doing. You can't be on the road. Um, it's it's past curfew." And um, they said, "Well, you're not you, you're not allowed to to go through." And I said, well, I said to him, look, I've got to get on the flight. And I explained my story. And he said, fair enough. But he, he blasted the driver for, for actually taking me um, down to Nairobi. But, um, yeah, after all that, got through. And then I got the flight back to – to I got the flight to London and stopped off at London and got the flight back to um, Sydney where I had curfew for t- uh, lockdown for uh, – Two weeks in the in the hotel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty average. Like just sitting around watching movies. Two weeks. Um, they'd knock on your door and leave the food on the floor, and you, the food was was shocking. Like there was. <laughs> okay. That's totally portion, true. The portion was horrible. <laughs> like. Um, <laughs> It's funny, like there was this Maori bloke on the bus, and I was chatting to him, like, 
Wimbledon escorted from the from the army from the airport to it was like travel lodge and um, yeah, I was chatting to him and and then when I was when I when I was starting to eat my food I, I just I felt so sorry for him because I knew that he was, the poor bloke was going to starve like, <laughs> the portions that they were giving us. <laughs> oh, jeez. I ended up just calling my mum up and I said, "Oh, mum, you got to get down and start bringing some homemade cooking or something." Because... <laughs> something decent. <laughs> um. Yeah, great. And yeah. so you're back from Kenya, and previously before going to Kenya, you actually won the city to surf. I think twice, wasn't it? Yeah, to um. Three times now. Yeah, three times. Did you want to chat about this race and what this race means to you and um, and just the achievements that, that you've done in this race? Um, well, it's a so it's it starts from the city and goes all the way to Bondi Beach and um, yeah, I'm pretty passionate about the race because you know I'm Sydney born and um, I did it a few I've did it a few times when I was first started running and um, yeah, so it was part, it's, it, it, it meant a lot to me. So the first city to surf, I ran 40, well, I was like 44 minutes or something, but when I won it the first time I ran 42, um, 42 minutes. And the second time was around 41, high 41s. Um, this was like, while I was, you know, still, drinking and stuff um yeah then the third the third time i um ran 40.05 but i mean the the whole story behind it was i actually think i got the record because back in the 80s or back in the 90s when uh, monaghetti did the race they started in front of the intersection um and now they start at the back the behind the intersection so they can let other waves of runners come through and at the end they've changed the finish as well um okay do it go up yeah so instead of finishing with the beach on your right you finish on your left so you you do the sharp u-turn and you and you go to the finish but um and yeah so there was this big controversial you know argument saying well it's a new course and it was Blah blah, but you know it was all that. But at the end of the day, um, you know it was. I was really happy with it. You know to put myself just near Steve Monaghetti's record was amazing for me, and and just just gave me like the confidence to to try and um, you know achieve what Steve Monaghetti has in 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 the marathon, in the ten k. And yeah, like just to be in the same kind of category as him w- w- was amazing. Yeah. He's, he's, um, and but yeah, it, it's, it's a it's a great race because it's 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 got the most participants in the world. So it's got about eighty thousand people running in it, and and all the money goes to charity. So yeah, it's it's a it's a big deal in in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and what know? and what's that feeling like, mate? Winning out of 80,000 runners and you've done it three times. What I can't imagine what that feeling would feel like. What, what does it feel like? <laughs> uh, yeah, start it, on the start line, it, it, it's pretty scary because you've got 80,000 people behind you and you don't want to stuff up or, <laughs> or, or 
I'll trip up. So, um, yeah, once once you get get to the front and you're running down to Bondi, yeah, it's, it's an amazing feeling because you've you know you got people that you know cheering you on the course and and it's such a nice finish like coming down to Bondi. Um, and yeah, it, it's yeah, I mean it's a great day. It's 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 um, I mean. To win a race like that, it, it is. It's it, all the hard work pays, obviously pays off. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it, a lot of guys um, have done it over the years. Like a lot of legends, a lot of a lot of great runners. It's so it's got a big history with um, so many Australian distance runners like De Costello and Andrew Lloyd and you know all these top runners. Yeah. And for me to come second, you know, overall, you know, beat Deke's time was, you know, it's pretty, pretty big. And oh, I think that amazing. was kind of my breakthrough, that, that result. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I, think oh. I, I won't say I was in about 60 minutes shape for the half, I think, for, okay. for, that, for that performance because, um, yeah, like it, it's they say it's worth a, it's equivalent to a half marathon, and my fastest split in it, one k split, was two forty. No, two coming down to Bondi was two thirty three. Yeah, okay, um, or a k. So that was my fastest k, and then wow. I was throwing in, you know, so it's very it's a very hilly course. But as soon as I started, start as soon as I got on the flat, I was naturally running like. 243s, 244s, just rolling that over. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, just got to got to heartbreak. That was, Heartbreak bloody hill is tough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've done it a couple of times. I know. I know about heartbreak hill. I reckon the hill from 9 to 10 kilometres is the worst one, mate. Oh, yeah. It's bloody tough. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I had Liam Adams that day as well. He was, he was fighting along, first 5K. Um, and yeah, he ran well. He ran his fastest time ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but I mean, I've got to say, like these these new shoes, like I'm, I'm telling you, like there's 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 been a lot of talk about it, but yeah. <laughs> for me, those shoes did help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what was your kilometre rate overall for that race? Do you remember? Uh, Two fifty one. Yeah. Average. Yeah, and that's flying. Uh, that's absolutely flying on that course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, Monas was a freak over that course. So, uh, yeah, so for me to come close to that was amazing. Just showed out what shape I was in. But then I travelled overseas. I did the 5K, I think, a week later. And I think okay. I was still tired from the race um, and travel. That was over in Europe. I did, I did a 5K in Ireland. Um, I got PB, but um, I thought I could have gone a bit quicker. And then I did a 10K, which was about 10 days after that. Right. Um, and that was that was where I met Renato, and that's where I met Sandre. So that's okay. when I got chatting. yeah, that's when I got chatting about Kenya and and his you know approach to to marathon running. Um, yeah. So that was you know that that. Kind of got me interested. I wanted to just explore different avenues with with going to Kenya and see what it's all about, see what the different programs are out there. Yeah. Um, but um, at the moment, my current coach is Tony Lanligan, so the guy that I've moved in with here. Okay. 
Um, and yeah, he uh, he's you know he's looked at you know my, my my journey, my past coaches, you know the programs that have that have done, and we've analysed and we've we've looked at different avenues, and I definitely think that he's come up with the best program for me. Um, you know, looking at Renato's philosophy, then looking at Lydiard's, looking at Nick's, looking at you know these different programs. Yeah, so I think we definitely got a got a pretty good one. So hopefully, yeah, yeah. See how it goes. So going going forward, you're you're actually injured now, and I want to uh, go over why you're injured and what you did in the process for this injury to come about. I think it's fantastic what you guys were doing. Uh, I think it was over 21 days. Did you want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so we started from – so there was no races happening. So we started uh, this charity run from Bondi to Byron Bay. And it was for my mate um, who passed away of a suicide with uh, mental health. He he, um, he struggled with it with bipolar for a long time. And uh, we thought we'd dedicate that to him. Um, and, yeah, we ran – I ran a marathon a day for, for two weeks um uh going through um yeah we, we followed the city to surf loop the opposite way and we um yeah we just stopped off in each suburb uh after each marathon distance um we calculated like it was about 750 k's to byron bay and it would take us like two weeks if we were to do a uh, marathon a day and yeah we yeah, it was definitely a massive – it was a great experience, like going through all the different towns. Because like, usually you drive on the highway up to Byron Bay from yep. from um, Sydney and you don't really see many of the towns. So we went off the highway, ran through all the small country towns and, yeah, I met some great locals. We met um, – we went through a few suburbs that got hit by the fires, we met the fire brigades, the fireys, and had a chat to them about um, – you know how that was, and I think you know that's one of the things we've forgotten to, to talk about the fires as well with all this COVID happening. But yeah, so we met a few few fireys, and then that was at Hastings. Then we then we went on to um, yeah, so we went on to next. Uh, I forgot what the next town was, but um, yeah, we ended up raising seven thousand dollars for for mental health, which was which is Fantastic. awesome. Um, awesome job. And, you know, each town we went through, because the message was getting spread and we were, you know, people asking, oh, why are you running, you know, and, you know, why are you doing this, why are you doing that? And, you know, we, we got chatting, you know, the reason why we're doing it. And, and it definitely each person that we talked to helped them open up about what they'd go through with either the fires or COVID or whatever that happened. So, yeah, it was a great great message great atmosphere that that, that happened um, um yeah there was one day that i mean one day i was i was on the i was in the middle of nowhere and i had the shits i was just pissed off tired and and these two farmers like they're outside and they were saying mate why are you running and then and then um yeah i stopped god chatting to them and you know i had chatting them and they they really boosted you know my, my uh, motivation my you know, my focus to just keep going and and keep focus and keep moving forward because they they had a chat, talked about their problems. You know, they were talking about, you know, what happened with 
you know, um, what happened with the fires and stuff. So, yeah, did that. Um, and then, yeah, unfortunately, the last five days, I, I pulled, I picked up a, a stress fracture, and um, I was on the side of the highway, um, just limping along, um, and just, just you know, the Jimmy, Jimmy Owens, the guy that was um you know he was kind of like spotting me and he was part of the the let's say the the crew the help um yeah he was saying no you got to stop mate and I said no I got to do this man I got to do it so I carried on limping away and um I think I did five days I think and it was it was tough it was seven hours some days were seven hours just walking running and yeah but yeah, no, it was a great, great to to get it done and, and get that done for Joel. Um, yeah. And I'm sure his family and friends would have appreciated you putting your body through that. You know, 42 k's a day for two weeks. It's uh, it's not an easy process. Did you cut up the runs or? Yeah, I cut up the runs. So I do some like 21 k, and then I do another 21 in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, that was, I mean, actually doing the distance, the marathon distance wasn't tough. It was just once I got injured and like having to deal with that and the, um, just a just a length of time that I was out there some days was was just pretty tough and the pain as well. Um, but um, you know, once we got to Bondi, that was amazing, amazing feeling. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was doing sessions like the first week. Um, okay, really? Wow. A reps, bloody, on the side. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then um, I was doing um, just a few podcasts. I did a few podcasts and, um, yeah, it was good. It's good. Yeah. It was good. The main focus was, the main goal was we, we raised – you know, the goal was to raise five thousand dollars. We raised seven thousand dollars, so we we got that and Great. we were able to spread the word. Yeah, awesome. And you had a bit of a motto there, didn't you? What was the motto? Motto? Yeah. No, it's not weak to speak. Is that the motto? Oh yeah, it's not weak to speak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah take courage to speak about your issues. Um, yeah, and and you know what? You know, there's been boxes. There's been you know UFC fighters, the, the toughest guys, the hardest guys in the world that have gone through issues, gone through mental health issues. They're not weak. Do you know, these guys yeah. are strong people. You know, you're definitely not weak to talk, to have mental health issues and depression, anxiety. It's more weak to to judge and to, to not listen um, and to not talk about it. So you, you talk about it, yeah, you, you got loads of balls um, yeah. in, my, in my books and, uh, you know, walking into a pub, you know, and ordering, you know, a glass of water in front of a, tra- you know, in front of tradies or a team of rugby blokes or whatever, all drinking beer, and you order a, a, a schooner of water, that takes more balls yeah. than um, being part of peer pressure and, and just drinking and and, yeah. and not talking about your problems. Yeah, think about mental health; it doesn't discriminate. It uh. And, and you guys are breaking down the stigma in, in what you did, and I congratulate you for that because not everyone, number one, could could do that feat, and number two, um, put their self out in the line and and 
yeah. you know, get people talking about it. And, I, and by the sounds of it, it sounds like you've achieved your goal, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, even chatting to the Fireys, you know, there was a few boys in in, in that, you know, fire brigade that had topped themselves and committed suicide. And, you know, they just, you know, they just couldn't, they couldn't talk about, they, you know, that, that macho-ness that, you know, that, you know, bloke can't show any bloody emotion. You know, it's, it's, it's a load of crap. So, I mean, you just got to, got to talk about it, talk about, talk it to you, talk to your mates, talk to your family. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, it was a great trip. We spread, we got to spread the word around everywhere. So uh, awesome. it, was, it was, it was really, really nice thing to do. Yeah. That's great. And so moving forward from this, you, like you said, you are, you got a stress fracture out of this and right now you're injured and you're just coming back. I think you said you're two weeks back from an injury. Yeah. So I'm running uh, 80K at the week at the moment. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, so moving forward, what are the goals, mate? Yeah. So you're going to know uh, this new program and. Yeah. yeah so the next, uh, the next couple of weeks will just be like running and then we'll go into a phase of Lydiard's uh, base hills, um, a few progressive runs and then Great. Um, we'll hit like a few like Renato's long sessions, long uh, tempos. But yeah, the, the next race will be Lake Biwa. Okay. Um, which next year in March. So hopefully um, – I'm looking just to go up, you know, just to qualify for the Olympics there. Okay. Uh, 2.11, 2.10, you know, whatever gets me in. Um, and then as we, um, you know, build on the base, build on the more consistency, you know, maybe look at running, you know, under 2.10, 2.08 and see see where it gets me, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, the marathon's always, you know, this this unknown event. It's a very interesting event, and a lot of Australians who have run such fast times on the, you know, in, in the shorter stuff, can't seem to match up to the marathon. So it is a it is a unique distance. Um, I think, yeah, my advice would be just I think you've got to cover the distance. You've got to do the do the long sessions. Um, and try and work on that 30k to 42k area. Yeah, but I'm still a novice, so I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know how the marathon's going to go for me. No, I, um, I couldn't agree more. I took four minutes off my time uh, finding a, a, a what do you call him, Renita Canova special session. Just oh. all that marathon specific stuff. I think it's, I think that's where it is, mate. Like the race starts at 30k. So. Yeah, yeah. I think you can't be doing just high mileage and long, long runs. You've got to be doing the, you know, the long, hard, you know, the long marathon sessions where Absolutely. you're running it. Um, yeah. And constantly drinking. Like when I was in Kenya, I was amazed. They're always drinking Morton, drinking water on their okay. sessions, the long runs. There's none of that. Oh, you go out and try and dehydrate yourself and, you know, run through it. It's just, you know, they got a van next to them, driving next to them every 5K, drink of water, drink of Morden. So I think that's got to be part of the, the training as well, just yeah. to recover. 
because when you're doing these big sessions, um, you definitely got to recover from, and that's the biggest thing. Yeah, um, and your body can't go to the well no. all the time, so that recovery is, you know, the recovery is uh, where the magic happens. You can you can do the interval work, but the recovery is where the adaptation will happen. Yeah, you got you got to you got to forget about the three session a week. Um, when you're doing these big, no way you can recover in yeah. one day. Well, you got about two. I'll try it. It's fucking too hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you'll find, you know, three, three days. Like if you run if you run the session correct, you'll recover in two days, three days, and then you're able to do, you know, something else, something small. But yeah, perfect. You got to be able to um, back up for your next session, but um. Yeah, I mean, but I, I've just got to see how it go, really. We'll see what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then Stanford. Um, so I'm looking at doing the marathon. You know, what happen, whatever happens there, it'll be a massive base, a great base going into the 10K. Yeah. Um, in May, Stanford. So coming off that base, that strength, and then I'll work on the speed stuff, you know, the – you know, get get the three sessions in a week. Great. Work on that stuff. Um, and yeah, yeah. Focus on Stanford. Hopefully, if it, if it goes ahead, that is. Yeah, yeah, mate. The world's in a. Well, we don't know what's going to happen from week to week. Um, like all this measure, like the measuring the the new shoes, like the spikes and. Um, yeah. Saying oh, it's got to be, you know, so many millimeters and. Bloody, it's it's a load of crap. Yeah, one rule and that's it. You exactly. Know? I mean, I think we've gone too too far down the track of well, we can't now. We can't take away that mechanical advantage of these shoes. We know that they're here to stay. Uh, yeah, that's and, part of technology. You know, yeah, exactly. If you look at, at Ron Clark, I mean, he ran on the dirt track and you know big metal studs, and then we've gone mm. to you know, a tartan track, a bouncy tartan track, and and new spikes. So you know, nice. Nike light spike. So it's always going to be improving. Um, but, you know, with the new rule saying that you can only wear 25 millimetres with a spike, you know, what that has done has taken away the older guys, you know, the guys that are running the Masters because they can't wear spikes. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, it's, it helps me, you know, it helps me you know, bounce back easier and um, yeah. get, me, get me through the race. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if by forcing them, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's cheating wearing the next percent on, on a track. I mean, how is that cheating? Because you, you're able to wear that in other competition on the road. So yeah. I don't get what they're trying to do there. Um, and I don't know how they can actually have a referee and go f- look at every shoe that's going to be you know, 25 millimeter stack eye. Oh, it's, in, it's impossible. Imagine it like a stacked into club or something when they're trying to be on time as well. I can't imagine someone. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, mate. Yeah, no, no, you know, you can't run that. <laughs> yeah, uh, mate. It's uh, I don't think your your stack height's 25. <laughs> yeah, and then he gets a roar out. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, I, I think we just, well, you and I have come to the realisation, but I think most of the world has as well, that they're here to stay. I think it's a good thing. 
um, and people making most most of it, and it's exciting to see these world records being being taken. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kipchoge. I mean, the shoes that the, the shoes that he wore were ridiculous. Like in the in that marathon, you know, three plated, you know, two AirPod, uh, four AirPods in the shoe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, that was pretty crazy. But the, but the shoes that they got now is, I think, it, it's fine. Um, and like, I mean, I I was watching the London Marathon and commentary on that was was shocking because it was that that lady just kept on talking about the shoes the shoes yeah you know if if these shoes they do this and if i had these shoes in my day i could have run this or that you know stop talking about the shoes you know embrace it yeah people are running faster people you know it's it's exciting you know the marathon times are getting faster um yeah, it's yeah. change, isn't it? It's um, it's like anything. Everything ne- never stays the same. It's like the Apple iPhone, the first one. You know, it's it's bound to change, isn't it? It's exactly, and I think like you know, people are actually you know, older people are actually wearing these shoes and they're actually backing up easier from session. Yeah, I do a session in these shoes, and yeah, they were pretty amazing. Like you, you can pull up a lot e- better, easier, but um, um. Yeah, so I mean, whatever the shoes are, the shoes are like, so you can't really change, you know, um, progression. Yeah, exactly. Um, moving forward, you've been running a long time now. What mm. What's one piece of advice that you'd pass on to a newbie runner or someone who's been running for a while? I know you mentioned one thing, consistency. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Um. I think uh, footwear is very important. So find, um, finding the right pair of shoes uh, and uh, I would recommend Nike, Nike shoes or um, I think uh, treatment, getting uh, regular treatment, massages. Uh, when I was in Kenya, the, the Africans were in two massages, three massages a week. Yeah. Uh, so that's very important. Um, uh, you know, knowing having a, the right program for you like so uh i would say majority of people that are taking up running should only be you know jogging not doing any sessions yeah uh, and that that could be you know if you're if you're a beginner they could be five minutes running walking one minute or two minutes um and then jogging and then progressively just adding a bit on each week, you know. Yeah. Um, you can start off with two minutes running, yeah. and then you know two minutes walking, um, and that's it for the day, maybe. But yeah. you're adding just a bit on each week, and you're not doing any sessions. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend doing any sessions. Um. um and yeah, uh, get treatment. Um, uh, I mean, when, when I was coming back from this injury, I started off with just 10 minutes running, um, two minutes walking, 10 minutes running, two minutes walking, um, 10 minutes walking. And then I did that every second day for the first week. Yeah. Um, and then this week's kind of just been every day. Um, but that's different for me because I've, I've been running for a long time. Um, yeah. But it's uh, a good point. 
that you touched on, mate. I, know, I think just being a recreational coach now and coaching 30, 40 people that everyone gets sucked into, oh, I've run 5K, I'll do a 10K then, I'll do a half, I'll do a full. And what happens? They're not ready for it. They get injured. They haven't done the mileage you and I have done, but they see it. And this is the worst thing. Yeah. There's people doing it. Like I see so many people that are running in like worn out shoes and, you know, shoes that, you know, shouldn't even, you know, wouldn't even walk in. Yeah. Um, I think footwear is very important. Yeah. Yeah. It totally is. I mean, and it doesn't take that long to, um, to wear for a pair of shoes and people think they're okay after after 700k but it's quite the opposite you do more damage i think yeah um yeah definitely and um what are some values that you live by some things in your life that you really you know love and and the people around you or um i think like to be honest i'm surrounding myself with with good people, nice people. Um, um, my focus is running, passionate about running, so I focus myself around other people that are passionate about that. Um, and that that keeps me motivated. It keeps me it keeps me pretty focused. Also, um, yeah, just trying to help others. Trying, you know, even with the youngsters, try and guide them um, in the right way try and you know let them know what the good path is to take and the bad path um yeah and just being honest and and um i think uh yeah even doing these podcasts are pretty good you know they're really good to talk to actually you know it's almost like bloody therapy you know it is mate. About- <laughs> it totally so, is it's therapy for me i um yeah, it is totally. I, I love talking about this stuff and hearing people's journeys and reinforcing all the stuff that I know and, and you know, you learn yeah. new stuff as well along the way. Well, you're always learning. I mean, mm. like I'm learning now and, like, there's always things to learn. If, you, if you're if you not learning and you're not taking in advice or anything, then you're not then you're not going to go anywhere. But, no, you're not growing as a person. Uh, that, you? That's been the issue with a lot of, a lot of the coaches I've been with. Yeah. They don't listen. They don't listen to the athlete. They don't. Um, they don't take in what you know what's happening. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's about um, yeah, it's just about being honest to yourself and um, keeping motivated. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because um, some you know, some people out there, you know, you, you know, running boxing you know that's you know that's sometimes that's what you need for a purpose in life or that's sometimes that's what you need to focus to kind of get you to through you know the rough areas you're going through in life and then you can come on out the other side um yeah everyone's different absolutely but, um, yeah and coaching is this something you see yourself doing yeah i would yeah i definitely do i think um with Tony, uh, we definitely are looking at um, programs for the marathon. Um, we just we've got to we've got to um, work out a few things, but I definitely think you know I've been around some real um, intelligent people, and I've learnt off them. 
and I've been around a lot of coaches and followed a lot of programs. So yeah, we um, have have a lot of knowledge from like what the Kenyans do, what the bloody uh, what the Europeans do, and yeah, definitely um, look at can look at coaching and giving back to the youngsters or giving back to fun runners and just um, sharing what I've learned over the over the years because I tell you what, there's a lot of opinions out there and. There's a lot of shit advice as well. Yeah. So you got to make. Um, and I loved how you said that uh, athletes just want to be listened to. And most of the time, an athlete will say, no, we'll do it this way. But not necessarily that is the way that the runner is thinking. Yeah. Or And only you as an athlete know your body better than anyone else. They don't know. Well, um, one, of, what, you know one of the coaches that I was with, he was, he was annoyed. The way I was winning races. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> I think if you win, you win, though. Eh? <laughs> oh, you, you went too early on that lap. Yeah. I bloody won the, won the race. <laughs> yeah. I got the moon, <laughs> Um, Yeah, fair enough if you get beaten or, you know, I don't know. But it's, yeah, it, You've got it. You've you've got it, and that's what me and Tony have. We've got a great relationship about training, about looking yeah. at different avenues. It's not just, oh, okay, um, we're gonna hit this plan and that's it. Yeah, and I think that's so important to be on the same page, moving in the right direction, the same direction. Not, oh, I'm with him halfway, or he's with you halfway. You've got to be. No, I put total trust into Tony, and Tony puts total trust into you. It's a, it's it works yeah, both yeah. ways. Yeah, for sure, definitely does. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, you got to explore those those paths. I mean, just because somebody's got the best program out there, you might clash his personality. Yeah, so you might you might not, you know, exactly. might not get that person. So I mean, you've got to. It's a coach is very. It's like it's very important to get right because yeah, you're gonna you're gonna spend your whole career with them. You know, yeah. then if you're if you're going out doing secret sessions or you know <laughs> trying to hide stuff, it's it's pointless. It's yeah. It's a way- That's a disaster for recipe, mate. I mean, a, a recipe for disaster, I should say. It's injury. Yeah. It's it's not tr- it's not trusting each other. It's um. And, and exactly. then, we all know where that's going to lead. It's not going to be the best outcome. No, I mean, and um. You know, it's look the, the the young the youngsters. I would tell the youngsters, I would say, if you want to get to the best, you want to get managed on track, on the track level. You go to Nick. Yeah. You know, he's got. You know, people have asked. You know, I've I've gone through. You know, people say, "Oh, what manager to get managed by?" There is no other manager in Australia. It's Nick. It's Nick yeah. And. He's got the program. He's got the contacts. He's been around for 20, 30 years. Yeah. And you know what? To be honest with you, Nick is what you see is what you get. But yeah. if you actually, um, if you actually listen and you, you know, you both have respect for each other, you'll get along. So yeah, yeah for for people that are looking at you know trying to get to that level, definitely. Suss out like Nick Bidot. Yeah. Um, 
like you said, he's um he's been around the bush a long time and um he's got the contacts, he's got the people to get into the races, the uh, the training, the training effect, the people around him. I mean, they've got you know he's got I don't know seven guys who can run under thirteen twenty now, which you, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean it's amazing, and yeah, and that, I think that's another job what a coach has got to be. He's got to say, okay, I can't take you to the next level. Yeah, I'm going to step back here. And I'm going to let – and be happy for the athlete. Yeah. That's there an awesome to, That's an awesome point, isn't it? Um, yeah. To and get that's what makes a good coach. Achievement. And that and that's what it's all about. It's not about the coach and the, the bloody – you know, if I start coaching people, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a great feeling you get them the best. But yeah, I, if, if I take up coaching, it's going to be about the athlete. Okay. I want this athlete to get to their best. Yeah. You know, I take them so far. If I think Nick can take them f- further, I would say you're, it's your your path. Brilliant, you know, mate. So. I can't, can't say anything more. I think that's – you're the bigger person for that, your, your understanding of the athlete, that they've got more needs and, and wants and, and yeah. to excel at a higher level. Sometimes you need someone who's more equipped for that. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Brilliant. So closing out today, mate. What are some sayings or some mantras you lived your day by day? We touched on one earlier. Have you got any more for me? Some sayings? Yeah, like if it is to be, it is up to me, that sort of thing. Uh, not really. I mean, some say. I mean, I don't really go off sayings, but um, like to, I, would, I would put up a post maybe, you know, here and there, talk about, um, mental health, or um, yeah, but I, I don't, I don't go by any um day to day quotes. I mean, the the guidelines for me um is to learn from your mistakes, learn from your past. Um, I think taking a day at a time is is very important. You take a day at a time. Um, and enjoy the journey, enjoy the process. You know, you know all all of this is like us talking about running and talking about getting to the top or um, achieving goals. You know, this is what it's all about. You know, yeah. Once you get to the top, you're gonna be. You know, I reckon a lot of people get bloody lost. You know, they go, oh shit, I'm here. Yeah. What do I do now? So it's actually. It's actually getting there is is the is the journey. So I mean, yeah, you got to enjoy the bloody, the shit races, the shit mistakes, the shit um, days of running. Because if it was all glory, it was all easy. Then far out you'd get there, and you wouldn't give a shit, really. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, value it as much if it was easy. Yeah, uh, it'd be fair enough. But you can. When you're on the, on the top and looking down, or you've achieved your goal, you can go, yeah, well, that was shit hard, but I've done it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, by me succeeding, I think it helps others as well. I think, um, yeah, you know, if somebody out there is going through issues, going through problems, and um, you know, he can see other people like us. We make we make a turn in our life, and we start doing things um 
yeah, yeah, that's very motivational for other people because I tell you what, if I if I heard somebody on a podcast and said, you know, when I was going through my issues, they and I heard them say, oh, yeah, I got OCD and blah blah blah. Because when I was going through OCD and depression, I thought I was the only person in the world going through it. Yeah. If I was to actually listen, hear somebody, and so that that's you know that helps. So I think what we're doing is helping a lot of people, and and that that's got to drive you as well, you know, to do that. Yeah, nailed it. And I'll tell you what, mate. When we first met in 2013, we were not the best people to be around each other because we fed our addictions. And it but looking, the, it, was, it was a bad time. Bad yeah. time. It was a. Uh, yeah, it's just things things don't happen when, yeah. when you're in that bed space. Yeah, but I guess what I want to say is fast forward seven years, I don't think both of us probably thought that we would lead the life now that we do and <laughs> well, sitting both, here on a podcast talking about the shit that we've been through. Like I think... Yeah, we both walk into a pub and order, order Cokes. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, mate. But that's growth as a person and... I just hope anyone tuning in today can can um, relate to this and if they're struggling, um, you know, the best thing you can do, in my personal opinion, and probably Harry's as well, is talk about it on a regular basis and let people know that you are struggling. Mm. Yeah, they're very true. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, great. it's great what you're doing here, Lines, in the podcast and, um, and uh, what you're doing as well, representing what your, what your journey is, so... Thanks, mate. Yeah, keep it up and back out, you dude. Good luck for uh, good luck for the Mara in um. Yeah, no like yeah, chill. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been Brian Lyons. This is the Everyday Lyons podcast, and this has been Harry Summers. Thanks, Harry. Yes. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Listeners, that was Harry Summers. I think that you would agree that Harry has been on quite the journey with his athletic career and life. I appreciate Harry for being so open and honest, and I know this podcast will help people who are in a similar position. If you are struggling, please reach out to Lifeline on 131114, or please reach out to a family member or friend because those feelings are not worth it. If you'd like to continue to follow Harry's journey, you can so by following his Instagram account on Harry Des Summers. So that's H-A-R-R-Y-D-E-S-S-U-M-M-E-R-S, all the one word. And I know Harry would appreciate you following him. Uh, all the best, Harry, with your marathon in the future or anything that you choose to do. And if you did enjoy this podcast, please reach out to Harry because I know that he would love that as well. Also, if you're listening to the podcast, can you please leave us a ratings on iTunes because we'll go up in our little topic of running and more listeners will be able to find out about the podcast. And don't forget that Everyday Lions has 8-week, 12-week, 16-week and yearly programs available at affordable prices. If you want to find out more information about these, you can head over to www.everydaylions.org. Until next time, I've been your host, Brian Lyons. This is the Everyday Lions podcast and happy 
running. 